0: College summer sessions are underway as we pass the summer solstice, the day with the longest hours of daylight of the year. Our fields and gardens are responding by fruiting and flowering together, with summer crops starting their slow rise to peak in a month or so. I'm thinking right now about all of the herbs that are shooting up and creeping across their beds and pots. It's time to steep fresh rosemary or mint in hot, simple syrup for homemade lemonade or limeade, or to add to cocktails and fizzy water for hot afternoons to come. It's time to chop dill and mint and chives for cold rice or vegetable salads. And you can start sniffing your healthy basil for classic pesto. But instead of pine nuts, which the Northern Italians use because they're so plentiful to the region, you can skip that imported and expensive ingredient and use a great local one instead. Basil pecan pesto is a thing of joy. And while local pecan crops won't come in until late fall, nuts are made for storing. So, no problem using last year's crop. With a batch of fresh pesto, you can toss it with hot pasta or just sit the bowl of it down with good bread and those sliced, tender new vegetables and wait a long time until supper, sitting around a good snack with a summery drink in hand. In these moments, The living is easy indeed. Until you've got to get up tomorrow and prep your fall classes. I'm Claire Hool, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. This season, I'm following the roots and filaments of teaching practice at the college around the set of skills and experience of learning to learn. What skills do you teach? How do you teach them? How could we connect our teaching for our students and each other? This is Instructional Ecology. We began our season with a dense, dark star of the skills of learning to learn. By today's episode, late in our season, we see that single star has been revealed to be an intricate constellation of disparate points of light and gravity, and today is about creating constellations. A constellation is always a grouping that has had meaning imposed on it. Stars in space may have no physical relation to each other, but in constellations, we find meaning, direction, and beauty. And students, likewise, are most successful when they find, when they make constellations or webs of connection to help them in their education. When we talk about connection today, we'll talk about it in several senses, but I find that there are two main ways we come to think about connections as part of learning to learn. The first is learning in an environment of meaningful connection. What I mean is students learn best when they are in a classroom where they feel connected to the other students and their professor. I also mean that they can connect with the material, understand why it's important to their learning projects and how it connects to their own experience. Learning and connectedness means much faster and stronger transfer of knowledge and better student outcomes. The second way we'll talk about connection and learning to learn is learning the skill of finding connection. We found that when we teach students how to seek and connect with needed support, they're much more successful. When students understand what services are offered and follow through to receive those services, they benefit. Without those hookups, they would have gone it alone and faced the consequences of isolation and atomism. When students understand how to talk to professors and fellow students, they benefit. They feel they belong. They're less likely to drop out or to ghost a class without asking for support when the help they needed was just a few steps away. Some of us in faculty, staff, and leadership have spent the last academic year reading a book together on this very subject. Our common read book was Relationship-Rich Education by Peter Felton and Leo M. Lambert. Today, we'll talk to two people at the college who live by the principles the book explores. I'll use a quick excerpt from the book to ground us going into our conversations. This is from page 61 of Relationship-Rich Education. The author tells us that in a relationship-rich institution, quote, the culture should value students. Students should be regarded holistically. They should be encouraged to engage with big questions of meaning and purpose and to find opportunities to build webs of human relationships that allow them to hone their interpersonal skills, be contributing members of groups, and encourage and support others. A culture that values students also sees all students as bringing capacities and assets with them to higher education rather than only deficits and flaws. Above all, an institution should value the students it currently enrolls, not those from some past mythological age when all undergraduates concentrated only on academics, behaved with great decorum, and respected the wisdom of their elders." We teach the students we have, not the mythical students of yore who, the book suggests, never had any exterior concerns other than attending class in a respectful hush with no demands on their time other than study and schoolwork. These are not our students. In fact, I'm not sure any institution sees this population. None of us learn alone and none of us should. So let's talk with two people who've become more and more attentive to the students we're asked to serve. We'll be in two neighborhoods today. First, we'll begin in last episode's neighborhood of the Academic Success Center. Today, we'll be in a specific part of the airport campus, the William Jerry Wood Life Skills Center. I found that when you talk to Brad Kaufman there, you'll hear plenty about life skills, but he never makes the mistake of seeing these skills as separate from life as a student. Brad, like his director Troy Mothkovich in our last episode, believes that students can only be seen in a holistic way in order to best serve them. And I found that he's one of our greatest connectors at the college. Let's catch Brad between classroom visits and consultations and find out how his service to our students is rooted in connection.
1: My name is Brad Kaufman. I am the coordinator of the William Jerry Wood Life Skills Center at Midlands Technical College. I joined Midlands Technical College in February of 2015.
0: I'm so excited because this is a chance, I think, for um, your voice to kind of go some new places. And I think people would simply love to know what you do. So that's where I I would love to start is tell me about how the Life Skills Center supports students at the college
1: how do we not support students in our college? You know, I mean, we, we, we do our best to help students in any way that we possibly can, but sort of like in a broad sense, I would say, um, you know, we support our students by providing both professional and academic support um, that's needed for success now, and hopefully they can take that and use that help in the future.
0: Well, um, so if you go down into your piece of things, tell me about some common ways that you end up supporting students here.
1: In a lot of different ways. Um, first off, I am often asked to be a guest lecturer for a class. And I'll come in and speak to the class uh, mostly about um Understanding what soft skills are, the importance of soft skills, how these soft skills um, uh, can help them succeed both inside and outside of the classroom, those those sorts of interpersonal, professional, those those sorts of skills. Um, Then I have scheduled open workshops for, for students and faculty as well to come in on uh, numerous topics such as study skills, time management, test taking, and oftentimes soft skills as well. Um, And then thirdly, um, I have an open door policy which students can just come and knock on my door, I stop what I'm doing, they walk in, we have a conversation to see what's going on how I can help them.
0: I know that you have a really good sense of uh, where your strengths are and your specialties. And then your absolute willingness to say to a student, you know, at this point, I think you need to start you know, talking to financial aid. Or I think it would be a great idea to go to disability services, you know, about your needs. Uh, tell me about how you, you, you find that you, you, you find yourself connecting students
1: if they're not performing the way that they want to academically. Throughout our conversation, we begin to sort of drill down. I begin to sort of drill down by asking some very open-ended questions, right? To try to figure out really what is the core issue that we're facing. But oftentimes what I find is that there are some additional underlying factors that may be uh, weighing on them, which... Is interfering with, you know, with their academic performance. I mean, it's 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 easy to say, let's separate our personal and professional life or whether it's our personal life. It, and, and we know it's it's really challenging to do. Um so if in fact I find that there is a major concern about a financial aid issue um that is weighing on them, then I'm lucky enough that I have great relationships with faculty, I mean, with with all areas within the college. So I have my go-to person that helps me or helps students in my office with their financial aid. So I'll just pick up the phone and call my buddy Antoine over in financial aid and say, Antoine, look, I got a student in my office. We have this, this concern. I'll walk the student over to financial aid, introduce him or her to Antoine. And then tell the student, "Hey, listen. When you get done with Antoine, come back and see me if you have time. Let me know how it is. Make sure it's resolved. And then once that's resolved, if there are other issues that we can help with, let's do that. I don't want to call it low-hanging fruit, but let's you know, let's address the the most critical need first. Let's take care of that. Get that off your plate. And then then when they come back, you see this sort of." sense of relief and that that's now addressed um and that's in all areas whether it be financial aid whether it be you know a student with a disability with some accommodation issues or whether that be a student that you know may have just lost his or her job and are worried about providing for their family now and so we have to connect them refer them and walk them over to student uh, student employment services and let's get the ball rolling on on um, finding, you know, helping them find an additional job or something along those lines.
0: I know that you are a connector, uh, which means you're always willing, you know, you're, you're listening to the students saying, okay, what do they need? And, you know, let me introduce them. But you're more than that because you can refer someone all day, but it doesn't mean they necessarily may actually seek the services. I know that you seek to make them feel that they can accept those things. Tell me a little bit about how you see yourself as someone who helps students understand that, you know, they do belong here and they should be here and that there are things that will help them.
1: I do feel that way. And and, and that's why I love what I do. I do catch myself oftentimes feeling like that coach, clapping, coaching them up, giving them the enthusiasm, supporting them, encouraging them. And I do that in a way because I experienced many of the same things that they have. I I, I struggled as a as an undergraduate college student, and and through these sort of realistic experiences that I share with them, and tell them, and try to have them understand that it's not us versus them. It's not student. Versus the college or versus faculty, that look, we're all in the game together. We are here to help you be successful. And that's why we're here and that's why we get paid. They're not trying to hold me back from achieving my goal. They're here to help me achieve my goal. Um, and that's everybody across the board. Sure, some areas are getting more difficult than others. And there are standards and there are laws and there are, you know, um, th- these sorts of things and policies in place and things like that, but there's not that us versus them mentality that you need. To, you need to g- get rid of that. I felt that way too until I reached out and got the support that I needed when I was at the University of South Carolina, and um, and I never forget when I left the, the dean's office and he told me, Brad, if there's anything I can ever do to help help you out, please don't hesitate. And that's when it dawned on me that it is not us them you know us students versus the college that we are all in this together, and and if I can convey um, that sort of same feeling to any student, um, then then it's well worth any time to any time that I spend with them.
0: Well, I have such a clear understanding of your connection with students uh, and with staff services. I'd love to hear a bit about your connection with faculty and what that can offer our students. Like if you're connected with faculty, what becomes possible?
1: I love faculty. I was getting emails from faculty members often. And and so I reached out to, um, to my director, and also through the um, through the marketing department saying, hey, listen, why don't we create a very simple, seamless way in which faculty members can easily refer a student to me? So we created a very simple, short online referral form which faculty members can complete in less than a minute, um, submit it, and it comes directly to my inbox and the minute I receive that referral form I take it from there Um, and then obviously um, follow up with that faculty member after reaching out to that student and um, trying to persuade him or her to say hey listen um, why don't we have a conversation where where we can potentially help you if you're struggling in some of these areas.
0: Brad is both making connections with and for students, and he's modeling connection The ability to network and seek help is a life skill by its very definition. How many of us have found jobs, found love, found life-changing or sustaining experiences because of who we've managed to connect with? And being connected makes learning much more possible. The willingness and ability to seek needed support is a tremendous skill, and it's one that is rarely explicitly taught. Happily, Brad and others in the Academic Success Center are teaching them every day. Perhaps you're doing this in your classes as well. If not, perhaps adding those connections to your syllabus could be a good start. Now, let's turn to a faculty member who has slowly come to center connection in her classes over her years of teaching at the college we'll now walk over to the neighborhood of the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences with its surveys and deep dives into human systems and psyches. In this next conversation, get ready for a big challenge to our assumption that our first and maybe only purpose is to deliver content knowledge to students because this faculty member has learned at a high cost that maybe, just maybe, we're mistaken about this broadly accepted assumption.
2: I am Angela Griffin. I'm professor of psychology and the student success coordinator for our College 105 course in the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. And I joined MTC back in 2013.
0: So I've been looking forward to this conversation and talking about connection because that's such a fruitful word. I mean, it's such a dense connection of possibilities of what connection could mean. And I feel that when I was learning to teach, I don't know that that was really something that was on our radar, all that time ago, right? They talked to us about method and, you know, classroom demeanor and many things adjacent to connection. So I wonder what um, what the word connection brings up for you uh, as it, at this point in your career.
2: I would agree with you, Claire. I mean, I don't even think it was on the list of priorities. Uh, You know, it wasn't even on the radar when I was uh, a student um, myself or, or even just learning to teach and teach well and, and, and figuring out. So, um, you know, I, I am at a point where connection is really so much at the heart of what I do, but, but it's been a lot of adaptation and a lot of change. So um, I agree. It it means so many different things Um, to me you know, connection is more than association, it's more than being tied um, to something or someone, it's more than a link, it's, for me, it's got to be intentional and meaningful, right, so, you know, when I think of connection now at MTC, at this point in my life, and at this point in my career, it's about um, connection to me, so um, connecting with my students, again, in a way that's intentional and meaningful, though. Um, I think of student-to-student connections also, Um, you know, feeling a part of something bigger than than yourself. So, being a part of a group or a unit, um, your class, your learning community. Um, I think of faculty to faculty, faculty staff, you know, all of our MTC community connections. Um, And again, it's about knowing each other. It's about being tied to someone or something in an intentional meaningful way and for our students of course a lot of times the ones that I work with and really all of our our students it, it oftentimes means some kind of clear connection between what I'm doing here, right? Um, it, right here now in class or this class I'm taking or this assignment or this thing I'm reading, and you know, my big picture, um, what I care about, um, my future hoped for or possible self, right? Um, you know, how does this matter? How is this relevant? So connection there as well.
0: I know too. I'm, connection is important for any student in any context, but we all know that institutions are singular they are themselves. And that's partly governed by the kind of institution they are, and also simply where they are, who is in the community and who comes to them. And I know that you came to MTC from a selective admissions university. And so that is quite different from an open enrollment college. So while students always have the similar needs, right? The same categories of needs, the qualities and particularities of those needs might be quite different. And I would love to hear what you found as you transitioned from one kind of institution into into NTC. What did you learn about student need in terms of connection?
2: Oh my goodness, this this is a big one. Um, you know, it, it makes me think of of how dramatic the change in adaptation has been for me to hear you say that. So, you know, I, I would say that where I started and what I was really socialized in and what I learned from my own experiences um, was really more akin to, you know, the quote from Margaret Thatcher, or supposedly, um, you know, sleep is for wimps, right? Um, It's all about hard work, and we can all do it and, and just, you know, show up, work hard, and you'll get what you need and be successful at the end. Um, Something, you know, unbelievably simple and unrealistic, right. Um, and and now I I'm, I'm much closer to in almost everything I do, especially in my work at, at MTC and with students, something more like um, and I've shared this with my students, the we're all just walking each other home right? And it's been a big, big change. And part of it absolutely came from the transition from a number of very large, you know, research ones, so research-focused, teaching is not a priority, um, or at least that's the way it shakes out sometimes, or that was the message I was given explicitly when I was trained sometimes. And I think that when I was at these large selective institutions, both as a student and as an instructor and a researcher, things were simpler i mean it was safe to make a lot of assumptions a lot of the time um students showed up and and they didn't seem to think connection was a priority much either they were there to to get what we were giving them a lot of them and and that's really how i came to it as a student as well even though I was a, a first-generation student with no real model. I was kind of winging it like a lot of our students, but it seemed like the thing to do, right? It's what we were expected to do, to show up and and be presented with something important and to take it in and, and take what we needed and go. And, and And there was nothing about, you know, connection and doing it together. It was just sort of showing up and getting what you needed. And I, you know, the first class that I Taught at MTC that was quite a small class, you know, talking seven students instead of 125, right? With a microphone on oh a stage, was it really kind of sums up the transition or, or, or sort of the, the big change and sort of in your face. Um, I thought I knew what I was getting into, but I really didn't kind of moment. Um, I had a, a wonderful student that um, we were doing just, you know, in, in initial introductions. And um, he stood up and said, what do you know about statistics? And he was actually pretty angry. And, and, and I thought, well, you know, what, what am I being asked here, right? And so we had to talk a bit more both in class and, and, and even after class. And what he was really getting at was, what do you know about me and what I need, right? Um, coming from where I came from, my background, and, and we had a, a lot of um, assumptions there, you know, thinking that I made a whole lot of money, which I didn't, um, you know, you must make a, more than $100,000. Wow. And you must have, you know, parents who are doctors and lawyers and all these things. And um, what, what that turned into was just, you know, the first of many big wake up calls in terms of needing knowing learning very quickly that I needed to get to know my students and to learn to to really understand that question that he was posing and some of the anger behind it even just you know who 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 are you and and what do you know about me what I need and I think that that's something I never really had to do very much if at all for most of my students at selective um, admissions institutions they came kind of like a I don't know, uh, like sort of the, you know, if I'm baking cookies, they came like the the pre-packaged Pillsbury, right? Ready to Mm -hmm. chop. They had all what, uh, mostly what they needed. Certainly there were students who kept me up at night um, and needed me and I I did my best work. But, um, you know, coming to a place where there's so much diversity in terms of what students are bringing into the classroom, their needs, their level of understanding, preparedness, their level of confidence, I think is a big one that stood out, Um, you know starting to work with many students who come to college, taking a chance, or still just in life, ba- barely hanging on by a thread in so many ways, um, taking a big risk and not sure about what they're doing, um, showing up in my classroom. It, I figured out very quickly that it was important to, to know and respond to the fact that Many of them had not had a pattern of success um, at all or or quite the opposite. And so coming um, into a classroom at a large selective institution where you were pretty well prepared, you knew what it meant to say, hey, write a reflection or elaborate here in your paper. Um, Just simply coming with some of the basic tools and a core foundation to be successful And having experienced a pattern of success and sort of learning to trust yourself and be confident as a student and somebody who can walk into a classroom and know what to do and why you're there and and how it's probably going to turn out even um, learning that that was not the case for most of my students, even though I thought I knew, you know, but really hearing it from them and listening and giving students a voice, I think really helped me get to the point quickly that I, I understood that. Um, I needed to be more nimble, I needed to adapt, and I critically needed to connect with my students, myself, to really get to know them, to to be able to answer that, what do you know about statistics, what do you know about me, what do you know about what I need, and how can you meet my needs if you don't know me, right, Um, and then also helping them learn from each other, um, and those diverse perspectives that always come come into our classroom, Um,
0: lots there. I want to pick up on something you just said about the assumptions that we make in Mm -hmm. higher education, which are are definitely um, uh, codified in research institutions, I think, right? Which are, um, you know, that the students already have a good bit of what they need. And we're here to just sort of, you know, offer them a package, like you say, and, you know, slice and bake. And then there they go. Mm -hmm. Um, And in our um, faculty, staff, leadership, common read book, Uh, we're reading a book called Relationship-Rich Education. And one of the things we actually talked about in one of our meetings was this attachment to the idea of the ideal student. Mm -hmm. That, you know, students should, you know, they should be respectful of authority. They really shouldn't have exterior lives. They should devote as much of their time as possible to their academic studies. Um, They should receive what they're given. They should perform to their utmost and then they should, you know, get the heck out of Dodge and Mm -hmm. move on to the next thing. And... When you talk about um, how quickly you realize that um, you are going to have to change your assumptions, give them up and actually come to know what's in front of you. It occurs to me that not everyone would make that move. Not everyone is right. willing to give up the idea, the assumption of the ideal student. What is lost when, when you can't or don't.
2: it. That's a toughy, Claire, and I, I i certainly think, I, you know, at least internally, I, I met that resistance from myself, right? It's a whole lot easier to just do what we know or do what we think works or assume that we know best and just to power on through, right? Um, we certainly all, I think, maybe it's not just me, <laughs> do that during our lectures, right? We have a plan and we stick to it and we just forge ahead and you're supposed to get what you need and and figure it out, work hard, move on. But, um, I think we lose our students, you know, I mean, literally, um, but, but in so many other ways, I think that, um, when we do that and we don't slow down enough to listen and pay attention and not just give, but also receive feedback and ask for it, um, and give students voice, um, to share what's working, what's not and what they need and to to give, um, feedback that's going to give some indication of, you know, how things are going, um, We've got that one way street instead of a bi directional relationship and I think that we truly we lose students, especially today I think we've got so many that again, they are not able to be that stereotypical ideal student that I was striving to be and taught to be and taught to mold and look for right in my early career. Um, They they are taking care of their siblings. They are joining your Zoom class from their job while they're doing their job. They're doing everything they can and working so hard and and need some flexibility and adaptation on the other side. And I think if we don't slow down enough and pay attention, because I think it's there and I think some of them are certainly screaming it um, to us at us. but, but it's there to be seen and heard. I think when we just keep going and we're not willing to make those kinds of changes, sometimes big and comfortable changes, which it's been that way for me for sure, um, we're wasting a lot of time and money and resources, right? I mean, we have students who disappear on us that we wonder about. And I think some of those are the students who were on the receiving end of what, what we're talking about, right? Um, they're not getting what they need. And so they're going to give up um, or they're going to go somewhere else
0: um, or they're lost and they don't know the next step. I hear you already telling me, you know, it was hard for me. I was resistant to it, but I know that you've changed in terms of of what you center. And you really do feel that connection is so central now to your mission as a teacher. I would love for you to talk about how that happened. How did you make those changes? What, What moved you? To make that, and what did you do um, to 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 go beyond just observing it and actually taking action?
2: Oh, that's a tough one, but an important one, Claire. Um, you know, it was nothing mind-blowing. It wasn't that one aha moment. Um, I think it was just, it was more a gradual um Awakening or sort of little nudges of insight that I finally paid attention to because of my students. Um, It was in the conversations after class. It was the student who um, never said a peep in class that I felt like was one of my untapped resources in class. That was a great student who eventually, even after the class ended, right, the, the entire semester was over, came and said or wrote a note and said, you know, that one day, when you stopped what we were doing, and you just said, hey, let's take a break. And I want you to ask the person beside you how they're doing, or what they're struggling with. And let's share some tips or just the day that you remembered that, you know, my brother was sick, right? And you asked me about that. Um, That was exactly what I needed to show up again, you know, I was planning to leave or, um, you know, just the moments where something happened on the fly, where there was more connection in class or or something was working, right? I I had to stop at one point in a, you know, a pretty content heavy class, right? Um, Human growth and development where we were really struggling. And I just decided, you know, instead of kind of keeping it all behind the curtain and being very formal and and professional, supposedly the way I'd been trained to, I decided to kind of pull back the curtain and give it away and say, what's wrong? You know, this is not working for any of us. Right. Um, and, and I think that in, and it turned out to be something great, right? We had a great conversation and, and, and we and I, I made changes and we moved on right in the moment, but I was honest and open about it and it made the situation much more comfortable and much more productive. So it's sort of been the combination for me of those kinds of moments with my students themselves, oftentimes just volunteering. Hey, it wasn't that amazing lecture you spent you know, hours and hours revising and updating and adding the cool videos to and thinking through all these little details. It was that you had us, you know, do brief introductions and ask each other how we were doing right before we had our content-based discussion. Or it was that you, you know, stopped and said, ask me anything or ask me any questions you want to. And it turned into something fun and informal, but also um, content-based. And and that made me feel like class was fun and worth coming back to, whereas before it wasn't.
0: So what kinds of connection do you find that they're most hungry for? You've described some Uh, of it, but I wonder if you can kind of quantify um, the kinds of connection for them.
2: Yeah, this is another toughy but important one. And and of course, never enough time in the day. It's such a long list. But the the biggies that stand out to me and probably the most striking that I'll start with, I've seen um, more than anything when when it's been an explicit question and it's even built into an an assignment in our um, College 105 Student Success course in Social Behavioral Sciences. And that is what are you hoping to, you know, what is it, why are you here? Not just sort of your big purpose, your why to what question is this the answer that's so important to keep in mind, but what do you want out of this experience? What are you here for? What do you need? Um, The explicit question, and almost always, and it's just, it was striking at first, and it's still striking to me now, um, and I hear it from other students and other courses as well, um, in writing, not writing, um, in formal, formal conversations, it's, I want to make friends. I just I want to meet people. Um, you know, we know from lots of good research right now that, that, that this fits, especially with our, our our college population that people are lonely and, and friendships are are taking a hit. Another one that's come up a lot is whether it's named that way, it's oftentimes not labeled that way that I, I see and here a bit quite a bit is mentorship guidance. So not just I'm your professor and I'm showing up to class and 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 sharing content on, on XYZ, but um maybe that professor or maybe someone else at MTC or in part of the community that can sit and talk with me and answer my questions.
0: You've really been watching and listening really carefully to them. So I'd like to know generally how have your classes changed and then specifically what are mm-hmm. some activities or things that you've really put into place to address the things that you did you, you have you have years now of rich observation what's changed for you
2: this is a biggie that I think goes back to that point that you all have made about the ideal student and and sort of giving the sort of pretty package you know that we create and we plan and we prep and we present it and we're done um I think I've definitely moved from sort of here I am one way street presenting and sharing with you what I think you need or what I want you to have to a lot more conversation um, or or sort of a conversational dynamic, um, you know, ever changing kind of class experience. Um, Not that I don't come with plans and put a lot of time and effort into that. But, you know, my classes look a lot more relaxed. They are less formal. they are they are more dynamic. They they change more on the fly. I'm more comfortable doing that, and and there absolutely um, is a lot more smiling and laughter and 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 sharing. And um, sometimes it's light, you know, sharing lighthearted sharing of you know concerns and celebrations that are easy to share. And sometimes it's really um, deep, heavy um, stuff that that students are willing to share, but. It it looks and sounds and feels, um, and I certainly hear this more from my students, much more like a true community, which is what we want, right? When we're in a class and what our students seem to be craving or even desperately needing um, to keep going or hanging on, to hang on and to keep moving forward. Students have just as much to share, right? Sort of a mutual, that bi-directional relationship. There's a lot more mutual learning um, and sharing. So it's not that you know, Dr. Griffin is, is the expert in the resource in the room. It's, I'm bringing something to the table too. We all have different um, types of expertise and background and, and wisdom and values and life experiences. And so I am pouring that into the class too. And I am a resource to other people and to my fellow students. Um, And there are so many ways to do that. Um, Claire, that the the hard part, I think, is choosing the biggies, but the one that I I, I do the most that's become a student favorite, and that's um, what used to be this pretty simple life-in-a-box uh, activity that we did at USC when I worked in University 101 and, and taught there, and it used to be you would show up to class, students would sign up once in the semester, and their job was to come to class and bring an actual box or maybe a potato chip container with three things in it that represented them, and the goal was to just get to know one another better and find connections and and commonalities and shared goals and interests and to build that sense of community. Um, But the way I do it now is uh, in every one of my classes, there is time devoted at the beginning of every single class, set aside, protect that time, even though I would have shuddered at and and just thought how terrible, right? How how non-academic, right? Um, How unproductive and what a waste of time, right? My old early teaching self would have said, students show up and um their job is to simply come with and they could cope come with a box but a lot of times it's just however you want to do it show up you've got five minutes and the class is yours um the the screen sharing is yours if it's a virtual class the floor is yours um and share some uh, some about yourself just a bit we want to get to know you better um, or share some of your expertise and so i've had students who um you know, are nervous about this. I've had students who have, you know, they dive right in and do it. We've had students, I had a student who showed us how to change spark plugs from, from his garage. Like here's how you change your own spark plugs. I had a fantastic presentation on a student's guinea pigs, very, very thorough and, and entertaining. And student who's a musician could pose a song and um, in a virtual class, camera off, just sang to us. Um, I had a student who talked about how they decided to become vegan. Um, And I've had students share really heavy topics who were comfortable enough, um, typically not at the beginning of the semester, but maybe midway through, who signed up and shared their personal experience of surviving and and thriving and and working through recovery from a horrific experience of domestic violence, who just really felt compelled to share that with their fellow students. it's been an amazing addition to the course, and it has meant um, the formation of enduring friendships and connections, both in the student success course and outside of it. And it's been an amazing learning experience and such a wonderful way to start a class. It can turn things around on a rough Monday for everybody, um, and it's something students look forward to. And it's also a great way to learn how to present and share Um, yourself, right, it's a great way to work on communication and presentation skills, and students sign up whenever they like, Um, they can change their time, they can do it more than once, Um, but I ask them to do it once, and however they're comfortable, and it's been um, fantastic, it's been wonderful.
0: You said earlier that uh, you were, there wasn't a huge moment of revelation about this, you're just sort of, you know, over time, all of these things are created, you know, they, they get built up into this we can truly call it a sea change, right? That over time, there's slow change. But what you just said reminded me that you did have one really big revelation. Mm -hmm. And it was about a fundamental hypocrisy that we as educators are guilty of. And it's the hypocrisy that we constantly say to students, you need to manage your time better. (laughs) You need better time management and prioritization. But then- We ourselves are willing to sacrifice over and over student well-being and connection on the altars of what we think of as most important, which is content. Right. Tell me a bit about why this was such a tremendous revelation. What was it?
2: you? Uh, Of all things, it's a TED Talk on time management, right? (laughs) So uh, there was, there's a talk, a TED Talk that I have used, I have seen countless times by um, Laura Vanderkamp, and she's a time management expert and, and researcher and um, it's a talk that, you know, it's not my very favorite. It's not the perfect time management talk, but it's a wonderful conversation starter. It's wonderful for making um, everyone, um, students in my classes, think about time management, how challenging it is, and and how important the choices that we make and our priorities are. And that time is much more flexible than we seem to think. You know, when nobody has enough time. We're too busy. Couldn't get it done. We're distracted. Um, we're all overwhelmed. Yep. Yep, yep, so I'm showing this talk in my class and this was just this year and this is, I mean, I've shown it for years, decades at this point point. and there's a point in the talk that really resonates with many students and we had stopped to discuss it and again, I could give this talk in my sleep and she makes the point that I don't have time for that. Or no, I don't have time to do this. I know I don't have time for this. I, I didn't have time to get it done. Oftentimes, not always, certainly there are challenges. And, and, and some of us have have more you know, ability and resources um, to have more flexibility in our time. But oftentimes the point was if I don't have, to, I don't have time equates to it's not important. It's not a priority because, and she gives an example of, you know, if you told me that I, if I would go, you know, dust my blinds, I'd pay a million dollars. It magically becomes important. I would find time to dust my blinds, right? Or if my basement flooded, I'm going to shift priorities. I'm going to make the changes, even though I'm going to have to make tough decisions, potentially. I'm going to do what I have to do because that's an emergency. I got to handle it. So we're watching the talk and and she says this and she goes on to say a lot of the things that we know and share and and know we should do uh, and share with students that is you know if it's important you make time for it Um, you you make tough choices you block your schedule you put it on your calendar if it's important to take time to read and reflect um, once a week um, ask yourself how you're doing in your classes then you block that time it's on there it's in your text notifications to yourself and and as I'm watching the talk, I thought, what a hypocrite I am preaching this and reinforcing this to my students, and thinking, how important is student connection and well being? But I'm going to go run to my next class in human growth and development and dive right into content and not set aside time for something so critically important that maybe my lecture and my planned activities aren't even worth anybody's time because we're not starting with that critical essential um, component. Maybe it's even kind of like a prerequisite, right? to student success and learning. And that is feeling comfortable, connected, a sense of place, being a part of this group and really caring about it and being motivated. And so I'm hearing her say this and thinking, how much time have I wasted maybe? What a hypocrite I am for not doing this myself, right? I'm telling students, I'm showing the top for the umpteenth time, but I'm scurrying to my next class and going, content is king it's what's familiar, it's what's critical. This is a an upper division course. It's really critical that they learn X, Y, Z, got to get it in there. There's no way. And it's maybe frowned upon. It'd be a terrible thing. And maybe students are going to wonder why in the world I'm wasting their time even, unless I'm explaining the purpose, right? Spending, you know, 10 minutes at the beginning of class getting to know one another, right? Or doing life in a box or, or playing somebody's favorite song and um, doing a what I call a whirlwind check-in where I just call up people's names and ask them how they're doing, what's on their mind and share concerns and celebrations and so on. It it seems silly, right? It seems it's so non-academic on its face um, that it just doesn't make it onto the calendar and it's not part of the lecture um, plan, um, but does the rest of it matter really? I wondered at that point, it was pretty uh, big gut punch to be honest, thinking how much of this semester have I wasted not really having my students with me and getting much of anything out of what I worked so hard to share in terms of content and skill building if they don't feel comfortable and connected and in turn, motivated and, and really here to care about and be all in, and connect themselves to the class and each other, and 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 then, of course,
0: to the material later on. So, what's at stake if you don't do it? Right. So what? So what's at stake? I think is, is we
2: we're putting a lot of time and resources into that ideal and to the content is king approach because it is familiar. It's easier. Right. It seems right. Um, it's hard to change. We tell our students change, transition, adapt, but we don't, right. Um, I think again, we go back to we we lose our students and we lose those golden moments of opportunity and we lose that motivation um, that our students so desperately need and and oftentimes lack. Um, I mean seeing the words staggering, Um, disengagement, right, Um, is a gut punch too, but it's a lot of what we see, and it's a lot of what I think we and our students are struggling with for a lot of reasons together right now. Um, I think we lose our students, and of course, all the stats and metrics that we, we care about, of course, especially in student success, but all of us, right, we lose them in terms of persistence and retention and so on. All those charts and graphs look pretty terrible, I think, if we just do what we know and keep doing what we think is best and maybe don't take some big chances and do something quite different.
0: Well, then I'll ask you a question I learned to ask from Krista Tippett. And it's a great question, Mm. which is, uh, what happens if we get this right? Ah, I love Uh, that. Yeah. What would it look like? Yeah. What would happen if we dramatically improved student interconnection here at the college?
2: I think that the easy answer is the graphs look better. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's so much more, but, you know, the, the metric, absolutely, I mean, we know from, from good research in so many different areas, but especially in student success, if we get that right, if we really do it, and it, it's more of a holistic approach, it's not just, oh, let's check college 105, the college success, um, you know, class off the list. I know, you know, Tom, Kim, Tom McKenna makes this point quite well, you know, these things belong in all classes, and these pl- things belong in in all of our interactions with students, and it doesn't mean we have to work extra hard when we're already working extra hard, and we have to spend so much time doing these things it's they're small little bits that are chipping away at the things that make it hard for our students to succeed so we turn that around and 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 if we get it right we hang on to these students, and whether you realize it or not, you've given that student who is so grateful that you remembered their name, and that their brother is sick, or or who who made their first friend in college after being out for a while, because you know they have that favorite same favorite song as the student that they this talked with in class, um, or learned something amazing and interesting in in a Life in a Box presentation that's going to get them to come to class again. We hang on to them both literally in terms of numbers and we're seeing them in class, but 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 they get to hang on in terms of taking those next steps to move forward to whatever is next and however they define success, whether it's finishing their program or finally passing that class or um, hanging on to or, or regaining that scholarship money that they so need um, or transferring to their, their, their school, their dream school and dream program or, or whatever's next for them that's going to help them improve their lives it's not just finish, but, you know, um, get a better job for their family and their kids. You know, I hear this so much from students. Um, make that geographic move that they so need to make, but they need that good job or that increase in salary to be able to do it or to get out of a terrible situation. Right. Um, all these tiny pieces, I think, come together. And again, no pressure, <laughs> you all. but. I think there's a lot more at stake and I think that means there's a lot more to gain and, and we don't always know about it, but but boy, these amazing stories we hear about at in service and, and things like that, you multiply that, right? There's so much more of that happening behind the scenes and sometimes it's something as small as giving students just enough to look forward to, right, to keep on going that that can make all the difference in terms of whether they get there at all, right?
0: when I was talking to Ashley Bennett um, uh, in our frustration episode about the joy of learning mm. uh, and how great it is to have someone else outside of class, you can go to and say, you know what I learned today? This is so great. Listen to this. And what I hear you saying is they're going to say, the kinds of classes that you're talking about teaching is that improves what we call knowledge transfer, right? Mm-hmm. It's dicks, it stays. And, they're engaged so much that they go out and they tell somebody in their community. I learned this wild thing today in human growth and development. Let me tell you about it. And so that's that's a multiplication of relationship. And then of course, by telling something, by teaching something, you of course, you know, better embed it. We've talked a lot about connection between you and the students and the students amongst themselves. Um, As we begin to um, move toward the end of our time together, I'm thinking about what about your connection with other faculty? Because, you know, one of the things we've said is what if a lot of us, I mean, maybe some of us are doing this, you know, in bits and pieces, but what if we were more connected? Um, What about that sort of sense of connection at MTC? And you could either talk about sort of what is or What you would love to see, given all that you have come to understand about our students' need for connection. Right. So this
2: is one of the places where I I easily slide into the, well, it's important for the students, but we have other things to worry about. Or it's not as important for us, but it is, right? Um, and I see that for me and I certainly see it in other folks. And I've tried to cultivate it for myself and other faculty, and I've tried to find it and participate in it. I think it's a it's a it's a really challenging beast for some of the same reasons, right? Um we don't have time, we're overwhelmed. It doesn't seem as important. It's not a good use of our time compared to this other thing over here. I've got this project, I've got this this podcast to do, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, at this point, I find that when I see that I give myself permission, which I try hard to do more, I'm not great at it, but I'm still trying. And I see other people give themselves and other people that they impact or influence permission to make the choice to use their time that they might otherwise be spending on grading and preparing for class and meeting with students and responding to emails and so on or scheduling meetings about meetings <laughs> um to just Spend time connecting and getting to know better and listening to other faculty and staff and folks at NTC. Um, I'm happier. I get that spark that I need. It's just like our students, you know, when it's a rough time in the semester and we're all barely treading water right along with our students, or it's just been a dud of a semester, it's been kind of hard. Or this semester, I've heard a lot of people, it's just been a weird one, right? Um, A real mixed bag. And there's been some days that are just yuck, right? Um, That can be enough to get us through. And it doesn't have to be something huge, it doesn't have to be mandatory fun together. Um, But I think a big thing is just, modeling and individually striving for that permission to to choose to talk for five extra minutes or go stay in the hallway rather than sit at your computer when the power went out on Beltline and talk with people um, or talk to somebody after class or, you know, Within reason, right, um, you know, not making your life harder, but within reason, you know, participate in that learning community, that that FLC, that faculty learning community that you all do so well, not trying to add to your plate. But, um, you know, those are the sorts of things that make a difference for me. And, and I think for faculty in particular, it's really hard, but it's hard for a lot of the same reasons as our students. I don't oftentimes make readily make that connection. I think a lot of us don't. Um, we're overwhelmed, we don't have time. It doesn't seem as important, but it is, it's critical, especially to keep going when we do feel overwhelmed. Um, I think another piece for faculty and for me that that I think is the real toughie um, that I think makes all the difference in the world is when we do kind of like this time management approaches like Laura Vanderkim, you know, shares, um, when we do protect it and prioritize it, it's easier and it's better and more fruitful. So when there is a course release for that FLC, um, when it's when it's individual and it could happen on your schedule or at a time when you really need it and it's there, it's nice. So having lots of opportunities to connect, um, I think, is important. Big plug though for learning communities. Um, I think that the most powerful connections that I have found and been inspired by and been given that jolt like our students just when I was barely hanging on by a thread came from those faculty learning community experiences with you all and CTE um, when that time was protected. And I was able to truly, you know, give myself over to that and be all in, um, And to continue to maintain those relationships with the people that I formed relationships with and shared with and connected with in that sort of more organized um, setting.
0: Well, as we um, wrap up our conversation, is there anything else that um, is still on your mind about connection at the college, student connection, faculty connection, interconnections, anything else that you'd like to share? Many
2: days, I think that there is a lot more at stake um, and we lose a lot um, ourselves and our students and our just the entire MTC community when we aren't willing to both prioritize these types of connections with students, um, listen to students, maybe listen to students, give some more student voice more often, have open, honest conversations, um, but also just sort of take bigger chances and risks. You know, Um, it feels like a huge risk sometimes, Um, still, you know, just to do life in the box at the beginning of Psych 225. Um, I think we're at a point where our students need us to take bigger chances and it might not always work. But I think it's important to keep in mind that the things that I've seen make the biggest difference or I've heard make the biggest difference um, they don't have to be big, right? We can take risks, but they can be small or they can, um, you know, take 30 seconds at the beginning of class, not 10 minutes, and we can work up to something more. But I think that, again, um, it's important to know that we, even when it doesn't feel like it, we are making Differences in our students' lives and in our own lives, and we're having bigger cumulative impact that that sticks with them when we take chances to do things differently, even if it doesn't feel quite right, it doesn't feel quite as as, as ideal or 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 academic um, as it should be, or we've been taught for it to be. Um, I think there's a lot to be gained by so many small things that we can do, and to know that. Um, When we listen to our students and we take the feedback seriously and we check in with them more often, um, we're having a a much greater impact than we know. And it is absolutely worth the risk. And it's worth sort of stepping outside of your comfort zone and and trying one of these things and devoting time to it. And that it doesn't take a lot. Um, It
0: matters and our students appreciate it. And sometimes it's everything they need. Friends, once again, there are great resources for you on the website some of Angela's activities for connection, the TED talk on time management she uses in her classes, and the form to contact Brad at the Life Skills Center for a consultation for a student or to schedule a visit to your class. Have a look so you can connect with our great connectors. Connection, the willingness to accept that education never happens in a vacuum at any institution, but that in a commuter open enrollment college, connection is an ever more needed part of learning, learning subjects and skills in the context of connectedness and learning the ability to connect when support is needed. As Angela says often in her classes, we're all just walking each other home at night. All we have is each other and that can be the brightest guiding constellation of all. Also in our conversation, Angela told me a real stunner of a story of failure in her life that she has begun to tell her students. I've taken it out and made it into a short bonus episode all on its own, and that will be released on June 29th. After that, we'll have our final episode of the season called Entangled Learning. I'll consider all we've gathered over the season together and see where it puts us. I'll check in briefly with the chair of our strategic planning committee for excellent instruction and season one podcast guest, Christine Witkowski, about how she sees our conversations as part of strengthening excellent instruction at the college. And then I'll talk with Melissa Ellington in English about interconnection in curricula, and we'll think through some possibilities for the art of learning to learn if our teaching is more aware and connected. When I say entangled learning, I mean that in the quantum entanglement sense. She and I will enjoy testing this idea for our community. Join us next time as we wrap up this third season of the podcast with a look at the web of our community at the height of summer.